keep reminding us of him. Let's focus in on him. And as I come and bring a word right now, God, uh, speak through me. Reveal yourself through uh, the words I have to share tonight, God. Reveal yourself. And let us take this and do something with it. Transform us by your word, Lord Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do grab a seat. It's great to be with you tonight. Thrilled that you're here and thrilled for those watching at home. A special mention to my son, Josh, who might be watching this with my mum. Mum, thanks for watching Josh uh, tonight. Um, uh, yeah, my name's Nick Van Ruth. I'm a young adults pastor here at Hills Baptist Allgate, uh, and it's great to be with you tonight. It's fantastic to see you. I'm, I'm really excited that we're here. Uh, I'll feel like my dad's just messaged me, so anyway. Um, dad must be there too. Thanks, Dad. Uh, uh, Marcus Cicero, who's this uh, philosopher from 100 BC, 100 years before Christ, he said this, the first duty of man is seeking after and investigating the truth. The first duty of man is seeking after and investigating the truth. And he he says that, and it rings true, doesn't it? That uh, as human beings, part of who we are and part of existing on this planet is we are seeking after truth. And we're pursuing what it means to be human. We're pursuing what's our purpose in life. We're pursuing the question of who am I? Where do I belong? What is right and wrong? Who is Jesus? And I think um, uh, one of the things about uh, search for truth is a bit like, I'm sure uh, anyone who, who has their driver's license has been in this situation, it's a bit like when you lose your keys and say you need to go out somewhere and you go to the ball where the keys are normally kept and they're not there and you think, oh my goodness, where are my keys? Uh, you check your pants and they're not in there. You check your jacket pocket, they're not there. You check yesterday's pants and jacket, they're not there either. You look in the laundry, you look in your... Uh, your sister's room, brother's room, mom's room, dad's room, kid's room, uh, your sock drawer. You can't find your keys everywhere. You're turning your house upside down trying to find these keys. I think it's like that with our search for truth. We're traveling through life seeking meaning, seeking truth. Uh, and we seek it in experiences, in, in teachings, in whatever, trying to find the truth. And what I want us to think about tonight is not, not just where do we find truth, but what do we do with it? When we find our keys finally in our sock drawer, what do we do with them? Do we leave them there in the sock drawer and just go off? Or do we go, oh, these are Mazda keys. I wanted Maserati keys. Or do we take it back to the bowl and just put them back where they belong? Or do you go and take them and go driving in your car? It's not just where to find truth. But what do we do with it? How do we respond to truth? We're going to look at this uh, by unpacking uh, one of Jesus' parables tonight, a uh, teaching he had um, uh, in Mark chapter 4. Uh, and just a bit of background, we've been running through this series, Kingdom Questions, running through the book of Mark. And what we've seen so far is Mark introduces Jesus as the Son of God. The book is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming into the world. Jesus uh, preaches a message of re repent and believe the kingdom of God is near. 
and he's proven to have authority. He teaches with authority, authority like no one else taught with. And he has authority over demons. He has authority over health. He healed people. He has authority over sin. He was able to forgive someone's sin, deal with his deepest problem. And here, when we get to Mark 4, we, get, we finally get the experience of being a fly on the wall and actually hear some of his teaching, the teachings from this great teacher uh, in detail. And uh, that's what we're going to look at. And he teaches in parables, short stories that his listeners can relate to. Imagine Jesus, you know, Jesus traveling along the Israelite countryside and he, he sees things and he picks them out and he uses those things, farmers, seeds, trees, agriculture. He uses those images to teach the, his disciples and the crowds following him. And he uses these parables, these short stories uh, to, to teach and to reveal the truth of the kingdom of God. And in Mark chapter 4, uh, verse 10, the disciples ask him about uh, the parables. And I'll read this. It won't be on the screen, sorry. But, um, and when he was alone, Jesus was alone with his disciples. Those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you have been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, they might hear but not understand, lest they might turn and be forgiven. And so Jesus reveals the, the dual purpose of parables, to reveal but also to hide, to, to communicate but also to conceal. He says to his disciples, to you have been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but others uh, won't he see or hear it. And so we come to uh, a parable he shares after that, and I'll get uh, Sammy to come up and read it for us. Where is Sammy? Here he is. Uh, he's going to read it for us. Um, Mark chapter 4, verse 21 to 24. This is the parable we'll look at in detail and then kind of zoom out to, to help us. So, here you go, Sammy. And he said to them, Is a lamp, is a lamp brought in to be uh, put, put under a basket or under a, be a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is nothing except secret except to come to light. If anyone has ear to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With a measure you said, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the, for the, no, for to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. Thanks, mate. So there we have it. There's a parable, and actually a fairly familiar parable of, of the lamp on the lampstand. And uh, when, I, when I first read this, when I was told this was the passage I'd be preaching on, I thought, great, a great parable about evangelism, which is a personal passion of mine. And I thought, oh, what a great opportunity to preach a stirring event, like, uh, evangelism training message and then send you all out into the world to, to you know, bring that light onto the lampstand. 
But as I kept on reading this, and, and I, I read this with a few different people, props to um, Ivy, Kirley, and Mike, who, who helped me prepare this sermon, uh, it's, I discovered it's not actually about that. It's not actually about that. It's, it's, there's another parable in Matthew 5 that uh, has very similar language that is explicitly about you know, sharing the light of Jesus. But this one, it's not quite the same. Is this parable talking about us or is it, about talk, is it talking about something else? Uh, and so I looked at the original language uh, in Greek and um, to try and answer some of these questions. And uh, in the original language, it doesn't say, uh, do, will you take a lamp and put it somewhere? Like the NIV, NLT uh, translated. No, no offense to NLT, NIV and NLT translators in the room or online. Uh, but there's no sense of, will you do this or you, you know, the second person verbs. There's none of those. It's the subject of the sentence is the lamp. And literally, even the ESV gets it wrong. Literally, it says, does the lamp come to hide or does the lamp come to sit on a lampstand? Does the lamp come? So this, this parable is not about us. It's about the lamp. And so to, to zoom out a bit, to, to add some context to this, to help us understand this parable, let's think about how it fits in Mark's gospel. Like I said before, Mark's introduced Jesus as the Son of God, and he's come to teach on the kingdom of God. Uh, and, you know, in Mark 1.15, he, he brings the teaching, repent and believe the kingdom of God is near. And Jesus introduces this great teacher who teaches and keeps teaching on the kingdom of God, revealing what it means to be part of that kingdom, but revealing his part in that kingdom as the king. And he he has great authority and people listen to him. And then here in Mark chapter 4, he begins teaching and we actually get insight into his teaching. And there's this reoccurring uh, phrase of, let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Let them hear the teaching that Jesus is teaching. Do you get where I'm going with this? Jesus is the lamp. Jesus is the lamp who's come to reveal. He's not hiding. He's not uh, trying to conceal or, or deceive anyone. He's come to reveal. And this, this clarifies for us that passage from before, verse 10 to 12. He hasn't come to hide things. He's come to reveal. You know, that which is hidden exists so that it be revealed. That which is a secret will be brought to light. Jesus has come to reveal. The truth of the gospel has come to us. And what, what truth is Jesus communicating? What, what is being revealed is the truth of the kingdom of God. It's that we are sinners. And Jesus is the king, but Jesus has come to save. We're sinners. But Jesus is the king, and he's come to save us. This is the, that, the existential truth that we are all searching for, Scr- you know, scrambling through our lives, turning thing, everything upside down, trying to find what is our purpose, what is right and wrong, where do I belong? The answer is Jesus. And he's come to reveal himself. Other parts of the Bible talk about this as well. In Hebrews chapter 1, which uh, Verdana are preaching through at the moment, uh, so go check that out. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets 
and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son, Jesus, whom he's appointed heir of all things and whom through he created the whole universe. God has spoken through his son. Jesus has come to reveal. But perhaps you're thinking, Nick, that's all great for those first century uh, Jews and the first century Christians when Jesus was actually around, uh, but we don't have Jesus here. Like, he's not physically in this room. All we have is, is Nick and Mark who, who teach us, like, not Jesus. And you're right. Jesus isn't physically here, but we have his word. We have his word given to us. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, speaks to his protege, Timothy, uh, in Ephesus. And he's, in 2 Timothy 3.15, he says, he reminds Timothy that how from childhood he'd been made acquainted with the sacred writings with Scripture, and how Scripture was able to make him wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. It's the Word that, that reveals to us who Jesus is and points us to Jesus, and that, uh, that uncovers the truth that we are a sinner, but Jesus is the King, and He's come to save. To understand the Bible is to understand that Jesus is the main character, that all Scripture is about Jesus. And we also have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, illuminating in our hearts the truth of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul again writes, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Spirit reveals to us the truth of God, the truth of Jesus, through His Word. The truth is not something that we need to search for or, or uh, work to discover ourselves. The truth has revealed Himself to us, and His name is Jesus. But like I said before, the question is not just what the truth is or who the truth is, but what are we going to do about it? What, how are we going to respond to the truth? And that's what that second parable is about. And again, I had a hard time figuring out what this parable meant. You know, these measures and what, is, what you use to measure will be measured to you and that measure will be given to you. And a lot of measures and it's even hard to read. But it, the, the light bulb moment, I figured it out when I was having breakfast with my son Josh one morning. And uh, in, in our household, we have cereal for breakfast, and, um, and each morning we go with Josh and we get a scoop, uh, a cup, and we scoop out some cereal and pour it in his bowl, and we eat that, or he eats that, and I eat mine. Um, and I don't know about you, but we, we have a whole heap of, like, measuring cups, and somehow, uh, they're all one metric cup, but they're all different sizes. I don't know if anyone here has the same thing, it's multiple cups, but they're different sized cups or size cups, even though they're, they're meant to be one cup or a third cup or whatever. Like, but Josh, in his, in his genius, uh, picks the biggest cup in order to get his cereal. And all props to him, because that way he can get the most out of breakfast. And me too. Like, I get the biggest cup and, and serve myself with that as well. Like, and that's, that's how we're to understand this passage. The measure by which you measure it with, that will be measure to you, and more will be added. 
effectively is saying what you put in, you will get out. Those who have, more will be given. But those who don't have, even what they have will be taken away. So it's challenging us to reflect on how do we respond to the truth? What cup or what measure do we use to receive the truth from God, from Jesus? And that's what the parable beforehand was all about. The sower of the seeds, another uh, familiar uh, parable for those who, who've been Christian for a long time. And Jesus, you know, probably walking down this path, seeing a farmer doing this, draws attention to it, to his disciples and the crowd following him. And he says, look at this sower. He's sowing seed on all kinds of soil. Some go to a path and uh, instantly it's taken away by birds. Some go onto rocks and uh, they grow a little bit, but then they, they die away. Some go uh, in amongst thorns and the thorns choke out the, um, uh, the, the crop and it doesn't, doesn't bear any fruit. And some go on good soil and it's, it's a fruitful uh, harvest. And so... Uh, I'm going to bring Rachel up, uh, who's going to read uh, this, the, Jesus' explanation of this parable, and then we'll uh, think a bit more about that. Thanks, Rachel. Be on the screen as well. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Thank you. And so there we have it, the four different uh, soils that the seed is sown on. And uh, did you hear Jesus clear? Uh, the, the sower seeds the word. Jesus is the one sowing uh, the word. And all the different soils reflect to how people respond or, you know, what kind of cup they, they measure with, how they respond. It's interesting to pick up that every soil heard the word. Every soil heard the truth. The first uh, soil, the first path, uh, they hear the truth, but they reject it straight away. Satan comes and takes it from there, from them. Their, their hearts are hardened. They don't even give the truth a chance. The second soil uh, is the rocky soil. They hear the truth and they hear it with joy, but when troubles come, they bail. They give up. They have no foundation to stand on. Uh, what they're relying on is, is the, the feeling uh, they have when they first hear uh, the message or involved in an experience or the experience they have or getting caught up in, in the culture of what it, you know, being a Christian or, or, or whatever, or the, you know, growing up and it's all the people around them, it seems to be the thing to do. But as soon as, uh, as, soon as that's taken away or if things get too hard, they have nothing left to stand on and they fall away. They have no foundation. 
or there's those uh, where the truth is sown amongst thorns and it's choked away by the cares of the world, the desires of the heart, the deceitfulness of riches. There's people saying, I know Jesus is king. I know he's come to save me, but I still really want to live my way. I don't want to give up uh, these things that I enjoy doing or, or this, this stuff that I really love. I don't want to give them up. And the word is great. I love the Bible. I'll use it, you know, when it, when, when it agrees with me. Yes and amen. But for the parts that don't, uh, don't line up with what I want going on, I'll just set those aside. And so what is there? What's our final authority? You know, was, is it what I want and what, how I feel? That's what's the authority here. And then there's the good soil. The good soil who hear the word, just like everyone else, they hear the word and they accept it. They accept it. They take it on. Thinking about what does this mean for me and what must I do? What must I do? And for the truth of the kingdom of God, Jesus says, repent and believe. Turn away from that life. Turn away from being your own king in your own kingdom and submit to the king, the true king, King Jesus. And believe in the gospel that God has, the king has come to save us and live in that kingdom. Live under, under the authority of the king. And so which soil are you? Which soil are you? How, how do you respond to the truth of Jesus? It would be naive to say that everyone here is the good soil. And it would be naive to say that I am always the good soil in every part of my life, as it would be for you. How do we respond to the word, to the truth? To those who reject it straight away, I'd, I'd say to you, uh, don't dismiss the truth. Stop, reflect, question this. You know, the truth of Jesus stands under scrutiny, so ask questions, investigate this. You know, is this world all that there is? Is, is the Bible just a series of words and stories, or is there something more to it? For those who uh, just rely on a feeling or an experience or to being caught up in, in either being a part of a family or, or a friendship group to be Christian, what's your foundation? Let's go deeper. Let's build that foundation. Reflecting, you know, what, what does this truth mean for me? What must I do? Building that foundation so that when, when things get tough, or when all, everything else goes away, like we've had over the season, we haven't had a chance to gather. And when that goes away, what are we standing on? We're standing on the truth that we are sinners. But Jesus is king and he's come to save us. So study it, go deeper. Over the next um, uh, couple of terms, we're going to be um, invest, investing more um, resources into training into equipping ourselves to grow and to go deeper, to better understand uh, what it is to, to 
believe the gospel, to be a Christian, to know Jesus. And for those, for the truth sown among thorns, for all of us, we need to check our hearts and ask, what's, what, what's the authority that we're following here? Who are we really submitting to? The King Jesus in His kingdom? Or are we pursuing our own kingdom? Checking our hearts. What's our authority? And the desire, of course, for everyone here is that we would be the good soil. That we be the good soil that hears the word and accepts it. That accepts the truth of the gospel. That Jesus is king and he's come to save you. And the result of that, the result of hearing the word and accepting it, the result of God's word working in us is a transformed life, is fruit. And uh, to finish the talk tonight, I want to reflect on what does fruit look like? So I'll grab uh, Josh up, who's going to read us the last two parables for us. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Thank you. So I want to reflect on what does fruit look like. But before I go there, I, I just want to call out uh, that the church as in the capital C church, global church, has not been particularly good at clarifying what it means to be a fruitful Christian. And I want to call out uh, that sometimes, uh, under the, the pretext of, of you know, encouraging people to be a fruitful, cr- fruitful Christian, Christian leaders have uh, tried to conform people into their way of living or, or what they look like, or, uh, and, and unhelpfully so or um, expected people to do certain things in order to be a fruitful Christian, you know, develop certain habits, or even used it as a pretext for, to manipulate people or to impose a, a you know, cultural mandate rather than a biblical lifestyle. And I just want to call that out and apologize. It's, that's not biblical. That's not what a fruitful Christian means. Being a fruitful Christian doesn't mean you've got to be like Nick... Or, or whoever else, or anyone else out there. If anything, being a fruitful Christian means being like Jesus. I want to I call it out and apologize. And I want to unpack these parables to say what a, being a fruitful Christian is. What is, or at least what can we learn from these parables? And the first thing to note is being a fruitful Christian is seeing abundant change. If we 
jump back to the parable of the, the sower, that, you know, the good soil, it produced a, a 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold harvest. And, you know, on first reading, like, I thought, oh, how can I make sure I'm a 100-fold Christian? You know, not like those loser 30-fold people. Like, I want to be a 100-fold Christian. But that's not the point at all. Uh, under, under normal circumstances, uh, the average harvest you might get at a time is two, maybe three times. And under the best conditions, uh, if everything goes right and, you know, the stars align and, and you've been blessed, you might just get a tenfold harvest. But Jesus here says, you know, hear and accept the word, expect a thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold fruit in your life. The point is, when we hear and accept the word, the truth, we should expect a, a massive transformation like nothing else this world has to offer. We expect to be transformed abundantly by the truth of Jesus. And we see that in the parable of the mustard seed as well. Such a small seed grows to such a large tree. The kingdom work is massive. The next thing to note is that it's God-driven. The first parable that Josh read was about a farmer who sowed seed, and then uh, he went to bed in the seed. It grew. You know, first there was a sprout, and then and the leaves, and then the, the ear of the corn, and the, the kernel, and all that. But he did, the farmer didn't do it. It grew on its own. In fact, God was the one that grew the, the seed. And it's God is the one who grows the fruit in our lives. Now, who is the agent of change in your life? Who is the agent of change? My first sermon here, this, this is one of the things I said, who is the agent of change? Is it, is it you? Is it me? Or Mark? Or, or some celebrity pastor on the other side of the world? No, it's Jesus is the agent of change in your life. He's the one that will grow this fruit, that will transform your life as we hear and accept His Word. And the last thing to, to reflect on is, is this fruit is generous fruit. It's generous fruit. You know, the, the, the mustard seed that's sown, it grows to such a massive tree, and the birds of the air come to perch uh, under its shade on its branches. It's fruit that, that thinks outside of itself and is a blessing to, to things outside of itself. You know, Paul uh, takes this idea later on and he, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now, which one of them is about, uh, you know, how we dress or what career we choose or, you know, whether or not we become a pastor or... No, it's none of that. It's about how we interact with each other and how we interact with God. The fruit that comes when we hear the Word and accept it, it transforms how we love one another and how we love God. And it's generous fruit. A fruitful Christian is someone who thinks and serves outside of themselves. A fruitful church is a church that thinks outside of itself. 
And that's the fruit. That's the fruit that God grows when we submit and receive the truth of Jesus. Jesus came to reveal the truth, to bring what is hidden out into the light, to show what it means to to be part of the kingdom of God, that we're sinners, but He is the King and He's come to save. The lamp doesn't hide. It stands on the lampstand. The truth holds up under scrutiny. It's there to be revealed, not to be hidden. And, And that should be our motivation for evangelism. Not that you should go out and be a good Christian to evangelize because that's a good thing for Christians to do. No, no. It's sharing the truth that Jesus is revealing himself. Jesus is the one that reveals, that brings truth, that reveals the truth. He's not hiding. So we can't, we can't be afraid of questions or, or investigating these things. No, no, that's good because Jesus will reveal himself. He's revealed that he is the king. And he has come to save. So what are we going to do with that truth? Will we set it aside or accept it superficially until things get too hard or something better comes along? Or will we hear it and accept it and allow God's word to transform us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth uh, of the gospel, the truth of Jesus that we are sinners, we are desperate, desperately in need, we are broken, we are suffering, but Jesus, you are the king and you've come to save us. We thank you that that's a truth that we can stand on, that we can be confident in. And God, we we pray that we would be that good soil, that we would hear it and accept it. And we pray that you would transform us and make us fruitful Christians, that you would grow in us the fruit of the Spirit and the way we love one another here and love you and, and love those outside of our community would reflect the love that you have for us. That as we hear your word and accept it, and as, we, as you transform us, that we would become more like Jesus. And so reflect that lamp uh, with those around us, that we would shine your truth and your love to those around us. And in so doing, God, pointing people to you, that those we love, those we care for, would hear, hear your word, would see you in us, and then respond and accept that you are their king and be saved. We praise you for the work Jesus did on the cross to make that possible, that he rose again and in him we have life. We pray that we would go out living in that hope, standing on that truth and pointing people to the lamp on the lampstand, the lamb on the throne, the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. We praise you, Lord Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.